We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. So I don't know about you guys, but I've been watching a lot of NFL football. I'm so glad the season's back. Just watching Monday Night Football, and I'm really hoping that you guys were smarter than I was and took the Browns over because they absolutely destroyed the Jets. So, that's why I, that's why I should have uh, taken advice from my bookie. <laughs> you guys should go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet this football season, bet with my bookie. Did you know you could bet on games after kickoff? If by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can always just take the other side. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. And no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of the year. Again, debatable, but it's fine. NFL season's great. <laughs> Join now, and MyBookie will double your first deposit, and you can use promo code BLUEWIRE to activate the offer. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. You're listening to The Uncontested, an Oklahoma City Thunder and NBA podcast featuring Jacob. All you haters come at me. Taylor. You're a step past a hater like I'm Rondo. Upgrade your baby mama to a condo. Nick. I really wouldn't mind taking a flyer on Swaggy Pete. Kamiar. I just got done taking a nap. And Justin. I'm too fast. What is up and welcome to the Uncontested Podcast. We are a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. You can find us anywhere you listen to your pods and on bluewirepods.com. It's the trio today. You've got me, Jacob. We've got Taylor along with us. What's up? We have Justin along with us. Peace sign emoji. (laughs) Dude, I hate emoji NBA Twitter so much. I... 
couldn't They're the ultimate trolls. anything more. If uh, I was an NBA player, I would like just schedule single emoji tweets at all hours of the day just to set the world on fire. Yeah. Well, you'd have to be like, you have to be a good NBA Twitter. Like nobody gives a crap if like, uh, you know, I don't know, like Raymond Felton tweet, tweets the eye emojis or something. You right. Know? Ha- hamburger right. emoji. <laughs> it's a good one. Um, so it's uh season's coming up. It's almost here, actually. Today we're recording on the 18th, and Thunder Media Day is on September 30th. It's About almost here. two weeks. So excited. A little less, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're getting very, very close. Preseason games are just around the corner. However, we're in the dead time, like even more so. There's just there's such little news to talk about. Uh, Kevin Durant didn't go in the Wall Street Journal this week, so we can't talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, Nobody's banned ninja style headbands were nunchucks or karate swords from the NBA, so we can't talk about that. <laughs> yeah, but Ben Roethlisberger's out for the season, and Drew Brees is out yeah. for like six weeks or something like I that. I guess we and... just need to be an NFL pod, huh? <laughs> Bad time to be a quarterback. No, yeah. no unless you're Patrick Mahomes. Mm. <laughs> Knock on wood, I'm knocking on wood. <laughs> <laughs> so I figured this week, guys, what we could talk about, uh, and we chatted about this a little bit earlier in the week. The Thunder are clearly headed towards a rebuild. They have stockpiled draft picks. They have a handful of intriguing young talent. And we have spent the whole summer since Russ and PG got traded talking about the potential of the young guys, how they can develop into something special, and how that something special can really vault Oklahoma City into the second era of Thunder basketball. But we've always really focused on like the, the ultimate like best-case scenario. And we've, I mean, it's just, it's what we do as a Thunder podcast, but we've really lacked perception, perspective. We've lacked um, a view from the other side. So I figured today what we could do is we'll look at the four really young players on the Thunder's roster. Uh, We'll take a look at where they are in the league so far and not only look at their ceiling on what we think their career could end up being, but we're also going to kind of take a step back and, and look at their floor as well and be like critical and realistic about where these players could end up on both ends of the spectrum. Now, typically with every NBA player, uh, they're sealing their floor. It, it's not so black and white. They typically end up somewhere in the gray area. Uh, but I figure we could just, we could bookend these players and, and really take a look at them from both perspectives, both the, the thunder super positive, uh, hopeful they, they turn out to be the the best, the greatest player they can be perspective. And what happens if they just flop and they don't do much else and they stagnate and they hit their floor? Uh, what does that look like as well? That's depressing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's, it's going to be an interesting conversation um, on both sides, I think, really. Yeah. Uh, so the four players we're going to do, we'll talk about the, the two that have already played for the Thunder, Terrence Ferguson, Hamadou Diallo. We will also talk about new rookie Darius Baisley and then the acquired point guard from the Clippers, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. So we have four guys all below the age of 22. Actually, they're, none of them are 21 and a half even. That's uh, I don't think any, any of these, none of these guys will be 22 uh, until next off season. Uh, wow. And then I think Darius will turn 20 sometime during the season. Yep. That sounds which right. Which is, which is equally as crazy. That, that kid doing is draft like, stuff. Yeah. 
Um, here I can look up Darius Baisley's birthday real quick. Tell you exactly when he'll turn twenty. Oh, dude, he just turned nineteen on in oh, June. Goodness, he just just amazing. turned nineteen. That's crazy. He's That's so, so crazy. So we all have have written down our thoughts and um, on on what their ceiling and their floor will be. Uh, so let's let's get this ball rolling. Let's start with Terrence Ferguson, um, and I guess we'll we'll just all throw out our our ceiling for Ferguson first. So, uh, Justin, why don't you, you go ahead and you start us off with Ferg. So if we are thinking about Ferg's ceiling, you have to take last season as kind of the first step in his next evolution. We saw what he was able to do from the first few weeks where everybody was trying to run him out of town with pitchforks and torches to really being one of the most reliable players uh, at a lot of stretches for the Thunder during the season. And I think his, his ceiling involves kind of a a furthering of that development it involves him becoming a consistent knockdown shooter we saw a lot of flashes of that last season he was able to to shoot at an incredibly high clip especially from behind the three-point arc if he can continue to do that and become that reliable guy that is always there to hit big shots that's going to be a big part of his evolution he also moves really well on offense he's not a guy that's going to be ball dominant so his ability to move off the ball is really crucial to his development as well. He's really athletic. He's got physical tools. We talk a lot about his size and his wingspan and how how quick his feet are. And all those things really come together to make him a pretty solid defender. If he can continue that and really kind of elevate himself to be a premier uh, level lockdown defender that you can trust with as many tough assignments as you're going to get, especially in the Western Conference at that two-guard position, then that, I think, really kind of defines the pinnacle of where Tifer could be. So I put down as like a player comp. Trying oh, to oh think hey, about... hey, hold on on the player okay. comp. Let, let, let's all throw Jump them out the together gun. here in a bit. Okay. Is that okay? okay. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, I was excited. <laughs> uh, Taylor, uh, what would you add to that, or what would you take away from that? How do you think Ferguson uh, gets to his ceiling? What does he have to be able to do? So uh, I – this might just be kind of repeating what Justin said in, in different terms because I think, Justin, you nailed it on the head. I think the thing about Ferguson, um, he's often referred to, and a lot of this is because, of, and we've, we've talked about this before in our podcast, and you, our listeners have probably heard, heard it on others, but Ferguson is the kind of player who's kind of been, he was slid into a role because of the, the players he was, the, the caliber of players that he played with, the Russell Westbrooks, the Paul Georges, even the Steven Adams. Um, he was often kind of an afterthought on the the offensive side of the ball. And it, he, he very much was that 3D stereotype. And because of that, I think that that's kind of what the, the national media views him as. Um, so often you hear player comparisons like Danny Greens, and I won't go into any more names because I don't really want to save that. Um, but I think us here in OKC know he's capable of so much more. We've seen his highlights uh, back when he was playing AAU. You know, he can shoot the piss out of the ball or uh, some of his, his three-point shots. Uh, Chris Vernon was talking about this on the latest NBA show with uh, the mismatch with uh, Ringer NBA show, uh, the mismatch with him and Kevin O'Connor. Like, he just he, – he was li- there's some he was lighting it up um, during his AAU play. And then we saw him, you know, play over – saw some highlights of him in, in Australia and just seeing him uh, – handling the ball a little more and, and, and driving to the rim. And then obviously with the Thunder, we've seen his explosiveness. So 
for me, for Ferk to reach his role, uh, sorry, reach his ceiling, he's going to have to expand beyond that 3 and D stereotype. He needs to put the ball on the floor and get more comfortable with the ball in his hands. He needs to be able to drive and distribute uh, after that. And when he's when he has a driving lane, he needs to be aggressive and be able to drive to the hole and finish, draw contact, uh, shoot free throws because he's a great shooter. And I think if he can do all those things and put all those together while continuing to improve and show the steady improvement he has on the defensive end, I mean, we're, we're talking about a high caliber uh, starting shooting guard in, in the NBA. Yeah, I kind of I kind of touched on that too, Taylor, in the sense that um, he's he's a crazy athlete. We know he's a crazy athlete. Um but he has to to be able to use that athleticism um, on offense in the NBA. We've seen him use it on defense, recover, block shots, stay in front of guys, move his body. But he's got to be able to use that athleticism offensively. Right now, he's pretty strictly uh, either out on the fast break or catch and shoot three. Uh, in order for him to reach his ceiling, he's got to be able to put the ball on the floor. He's got to be able to either get to the rim or get past his first man and make a, make a play for somebody else. Um, maybe get that, that type of game where uh, you catch the ball, uh, you tack the close out on a few dribbles and can hit a floater. He's got to be able to convert that athleticism into something offensively. If he ever wants to, to reach that ceiling, um, and, and I think without that, well, this is kind of getting into his floor, so we'll have to cover that in a second. Um, but but so we all came up with comps for these players, uh, what their ceiling looks like, what their floor looks like. So, Justin, you were excited about your comp. Who is it? <laughs> <laughs> so my comp for him, if he can do all the things that I talked about, I see him as potentially being somebody like Clay Thompson. Holy Ooh. shit. Yeah. I think that I mean I'm using ceiling in a very bang, literal bang. sense. <laughs> in a very literal sense here. Like I think it would require all of those things that I mentioned. Yeah, it's it, it's a right. perfect scenario, right? Yep, like right. But I the think 99th that, percentile of everything going right. But like we saw him hit the three ball at a really high clip this last season. Yep, thirty six point six percent on four attempts a game. And yep. and it continue to improve and lock down people on defense, like I think sky's the limit. Taylor, That's who's fair. your comp? So my comp is actually, um, and, and for the longest time, I, I kind of was thinking like very, I talked about this, but kind of like blinders on, 3 and D stereotype, Danny Green. So actually, like at, it was like as soon as I got done with the cold open ad read, uh, I came up with a better player comparison I, that I think is much better uh, due to the athleticism as, aspect that I mentioned, Josh Richardson. Oh, I really like that so one. So Richardson that's is. Good. That's really good. Richardson, that's really good. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I like that. Thank you. We need a uh, applause um, sounder. <laughs> um, so Richardson is 6'6", 200 pounds. Berg is 6'7", 190. Uh, I don't have their wingspans right here, but I'm sure they're fairly similar. Obviously, Ferguson needs to bulk up a little more, but I think we've seen Richardson. For example, he's a 36.8% career uh, three-point shooter. Last season, he shot 35.7%. His first, his rookie year, he was 46.1% uh, from the, from three-point line, which is crazy. He can he can shoot the ball. He's a perfect three and D stereotype when need be. Like for example, with the the Sixers, um, I think he'll we'll see more of that. But like we saw with the Heat, he can do a lot more with the ball, and that's what I I ultimately hope Ferguson will be able to continue to to develop into. And with that being said, I'm not sure we've seen uh, Richardson reach his ceiling either. So you know it's going to be really interesting yeah, to see yeah. him develop. That's good. So uh, my comp was just a more athletic Danny Green, uh, also <laughs> yeah. just a better all around um, Terrence Ross. Oh, I, I like that Terrence Ross comparison. 
So, okay, so that that's what we think ceiling for can be. You guys have ceiling, like all-star potential ceiling. Yeah. My ceiling's more of a a role player who fits the modern NBA ceiling. Uh, but what about his floor? So I'll, I'll kind of kick us off on his floor. I said Ferg's floor is actually kind of high. Um, if he stagnates and, and he doesn't continue his his growth, and this is just kind of the player he is, he's still a really productive 3 and D wing with good size and decent defensive abilities. Um, and so if he if he is what he is, what we saw from year two from Ferg, is if that is career-long Ferg, I think that's a likely rotation player on pretty much any team in the NBA. That's, and, that, and that's that, fair. And that's, I think, is a... If you're looking at floors, like it, it all kind of boils down to uh, what type of risk are you willing to take in a player, right? Do you want a, a high floor, low ceiling where there's not a lot of variance, but you know you're getting at least a decent player? Uh, or do you want to take a shot at the fences and do you want to get a, a really low floor, a guy that could be out of the league, but his ceiling is just crazy high if he can put it all together? I think Ferg is more of the, the former than the latter, um, but I, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think, uh, you're, you're getting consistency with that, uh, which, which is, is kind of nice, uh, especially with the team the Thunder did have now with a rebuilding team where you kind of need to knock some stuff out of the park. You probably want the guy that has a better chance at a higher ceiling, but I think Ferg's floor is pretty high. I think his floor is where yeah. he is now and where he is now is a pretty solid NBA player. I agree with that. Yeah. I, I put down, you know, kind of his, his biggest weaknesses right now is he's not necessarily a playmaker. Like, he's not a guy that you can rely on in the half court to go get a basket. He can use his athleticism to get open. Uh, like I mentioned, he's a decent shooter, but it can be a little bit streaky. So if he can't necessarily be more consistent, then that's going to be an issue for him. Uh, he's not as good of a rebounder as I think he could be, given his physical tools and kind of what we know about uh, what what he's gifted with athletically, I think he could be a better rebounder than he is right now. So as far as a, a comp, um, I went with a guy that Thunder fans know fairly well, which is Tabo Cephalosha. I That's think, a good one. I thought about I think that. Ferg's a better shooter than Tabo ever was, but Tabo, I mean, he's was a serviceable, serviceable NBA player, like Jacob mentioned, you know, a rotation guy on an NBA team for a long time. And I think that Terrence could, could kind of fill that void. I, like I mentioned, I think he's a little more gifted uh, offensively than Tabo was, but kind of in that same vein. Yeah, no, I like that. So mine is uh, also a, a former Thunder player. I was thinking on the same lines. This might be kind of a cop-out just because uh, I, I – Obviously, just Thunder players are going to be the most recent on my mind. I went with Josh Husis, um, the other kind of athletic 3 and D who we thought could do a little more than he could, and it just kind of flamed out. I, rather, it was the wrong situation. Rather, it was um, he just wasn't nearly as good as we all hoped he was going to be. Uh, I just feel like there's some comparisons there uh, if, if Ferg were to kind of decline. That's depressing. I know. <laughs> yeah, that one's pretty bad. So, so my comp, um, I guess I'm in the – in the minority here because I went with a non-former uh, Thunder player. But my comp yeah. is current NBA player Alan Crabb. Oh, that's a great okay. one. I, I, like I think as a, a floor, he's he's about an Alan Crabb. Um, and, and again, Alan Crabb isn't a great player, um, but he's not bad, right? He's he's can fit into a rotation. Yeah. So I thought Alan Crabb was probably the closest. 
Um, all right, you guys ready to move on? Anything else on Ferg, uh, either positive or negative, before we move on to our next player? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I felt that was that's pretty good. Okay, well, Taylor, why don't you start because you are the resident uh, <laughs> Hamadou Diallo uh, fanboy of this podcast. So why don't you start us off on? Oh boy, here we uh, go. <laughs> kind of what what you think Hami's ceiling is, uh, and how how what he has to do to get there. I guess. So I think for Hami, and I feel like we mentioned this. It was a you and I, Jacob, on the last podcast, and we're kind of talking about Hami a little bit here. Um, I think ha- so. Yeah. Yeah. Hami has with you. Hami it, comes up in every podcast. That's so true. <laughs> <laughs> I need to order me a Hami jersey, or either that or take my little brothers. But um, so with Hami, the thing about him is, you know, we've, we've seen him play a l- very limited role on a very high caliber team, such as the Thunder, with guys like I mentioned, Russell Westbrook, Paul George. Um, he didn't really get a full opportunity to display all that he was capable of, even as a rookie. And so it's kind of hard, I think, in, in that sense. However, from what we've seen and what we've seen in Summer League given, um, I, I, I feel like he's going to have to be able to handle the ball better. We, we saw that a little bit this this Summer League. Um, he, he, we saw him handle the ball, bring the ball up occasionally. He looked pretty good doing it. You know, he's able to kind of get downhill, almost in the way that Russell Westbrook was able to get out and transition, use his athletic ability to push the ball, find open teammates, and drive to the hole and, and draw fouls. Um, but he needs to tighten that handle. You know, he needs to be able to to put the ball on the floor in the half court. And um, he, when he has defenders on it, draw the other defender, kick out, and, and his passing is another thing, be able to distribute to teammates uh, better. Obviously, his shooting is is the biggest issue. I think the biggest red flag of people who have seen him that are, they're going to bring up. Like I mentioned, he he can he's so athletic. He can get to the hole when he wants to. He's so quick and powerful. However, he's got to be able to perfect his shot, and that includes his free throws. Um, obviously, his outside shooting. He's be able to develop somewhat of a three point shot, and he hasn't really he doesn't really have much of any of that right now. So, I, I, and then also his defense. You know, he there's still a, he he has the tools I think to be able to stay in front of defenders and the size and strength to be able to do so. But there was a lot of rookie mistakes last year, which were reasonable. So it's kind of hard to judge him off of defense based off the limited role we saw last season. But def- he's just going to have to continue to improve there as well. I think when it comes down to Hami, he has the raw physical to- tools to be a, a a big talent. Maybe not an all-star talent. I almost said all-star. But, you know, a, a great talent in the NBA. But he's going to kind of have to put all of it together and fine-tune his skills. Yeah, so, so I think I was with you a lot on this. Um, and, and maybe... My what I defined as ceiling was more like achievable, uh, his his reality, maybe more than his ceiling. But and I, I wrote this in an article the other day. Hamadou Diallo is a top one percent athlete in the NBA, and the NBA is comprised of the top one percent athletes in the world. So he, he is quite literally the best of the best as far as athletes are concerned. That's a really good point. Right, like yeah. uh, if you tasked uh, all the NBA beat writers and, and people who cover teams and everything to make a list of the most athletic players in the league, Hamadou Diallo is, I, to me, he is firmly in the top five. I mean, you have Diallo, you have Zion. Um, LeBron's athleticism's declined enough that I don't know if you can put him in there anymore. Like Hamadou Diallo is literally like an elite athletic human being uh, 99.5 percentile in the league of athletes, I think. But being a good athlete doesn't make you a good basketball player. You have to develop skills. And if Hami uh, wants to achieve his ceiling, 
he has to be able to use that athleticism to his advantage, and he has to be able to refine his basketball skills into something that can be productive uh, on the court, right? And yep. and if he can refine all those skills, he becomes a fucking good player. But even if he can just refine one or two of them, his shooting or his ball handling or his defense or his rebounding, uh, whatever, uh, just refining one or two of those skills makes him a quality basketball player because the athleticism is already there. That's but if he can point. refine multiple of those skills and really, really become a skillful player with that level of, of level of athleticism, uh, the sky's the limit. Yeah, no, yep. I think that's a really good point. Like, you don't even have to. It's not like he has to put all those together at once. He can gradually put, you know, he can he ref, can can refine one of those skills at a time and just gradually become a a better and better, more complete basketball player. Yeah, uh, that's a really good point that I really thought of, Jacob. Yep, like you guys mentioned, the the athleticism is the obvious kind of uh, selling point on Hamadou Diallo. I think one of his big opportunities is to translate all of that athleticism to the defensive end. Because I think he could be an incredible defender if he's able to use all those tools to his advantage. The other thing that I kind of focused on is the ability to add a three-point shot. It's cliche. I know I said it on T-Ferg of being more consistent. But just in today's NBA, if you want to be that kind of elite-level NBA player, you need to have a consistent three-point shot. And <clears throat> excuse me, if you look at... What he shot last year, uh, 16.7% from behind the arc, which is not great. But it was also on, like, barely any attempts a game. Yeah, the sample size is small. I like to look at free throw percentage uh, as kind of maybe a a little bit of a telling sign of whether, you know, the shot can be there. And he shot 61% from free throw, which matches what he shot in college. So it's that, I think, is his biggest weakness and I think the biggest opportunity for growth that he has. But if he was able to add that to his arsenal uh, with the athleticism, he would be a terrifying player to guard. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I, I I mentioned this whenever I was writing stuff down about him, but the and Taylor touched on this, the ball handling, right? I think there, there could be something there uh, as far as the ball handling is concerned, if he can run a pick and roll, if he can get the ball and push it in transition, if he can make a pass off the dribble, then that becomes something uh, uh, of a weapon for him, right? So, so comps. Uh, if Hami reaches his ceiling, what are we comparing him to, Taylor? So I've said this before, and this is a little bit of a stretch, I think, but uh, I'm going Michael Jordan. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I really like a young Victor Oladipo. Um, That's a good one. That is really a good one. In terms of athletic ability. Now, I think Victor came into the league shooting a little better than, than uh, Hami did. Let's see. Victor's 6'4", 210. So he's also heavier, which I didn't realize he was that. uh, I mean, I know he's very muscular. I didn't realize he was that heavy where uh, Diallo is goodness. I just lost 198 pounds, 6'5", 198. That's interesting. Now, but for Diallo's age, that's pretty good too, though. Fair. That's a good point. So, um, so a Hobby, young depot is, yeah. is your comp. Now he he, he only shot sixteen point seven percent from the three point line, which isn't great, uh, and was forty five point five percent from the field. Where Depot's rookie year, he was thirty two point seven percent from the three point line on like so literally three double. attempts, right? So it, that's the, the shooting may not be quite to or might might not get to Depot's level, but still. Um. Okay. So Justin, what's your comp for for Homie? 
So my comp, I went with Gerald Green. Uh, That's I think that fascinating. Okay. Yeah. I think if he can develop, Gerald Green's not like an incredible three point shooter. He's a career thirty six percent three point shooter, which I think could be attainable for a guy like Hami. Uh, it's consistent enough to be a shooter in the league. But then I like, you know, he's he kind of fits uh, the athleticism mold. I think Hami's more athletic, obviously, but I think he he brings some of that as well. Uh, I think it, it's not a uh, as optimistic of a ceiling as I went with Clay Thompson on Terrence Ferguson, <laughs> obviously. But uh, I think Terrence or Gerald Green, with kind of his size and his abilities, is a decent comp. So maybe I went too optimistic with this one then, um, <laughs> b- because of the shooting issue. Uh, because of the size and the strength and the athleticism and because of the possible emerging ball handling skills, uh, my comp for Hami ceiling is a poor man's Russell Westbrook. Oh, okay. Ooh. And well, I, I know, I, I, I know I that kind of feels kind of hot. League. I know that feels kind of hot take-ish. Um, now, I'm not saying he's going to be Russell Westbrook. I'm saying he's going to be the poor man's Russell Westbrook, which means <laughs> right. the not as good Russell Westbrook, <laughs> yeah. which maybe just isn't a good NBA player, to be honest. Right. But... Um, but but I don't know, just the physical tools, the athleticism, the aggressiveness, and the emerging ability to handle the ball, even though he Hami has not played point guard. Um, this is fascinating because I think these. what's interesting about these comps is it kind of reveals how we feel about these players. Right. That's yeah. a good point. Like, That's a good like, point. Like, I'm really high on Terrence Ferguson, if you couldn't tell. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do I, I For the record, I don't think it'll be Clay Thompson, but – uh, he, I, I really like what he brings. I'm not as high on Hami as a lot of people are, I think, especially Taylor. <laughs> and so my placing him at ceiling. At Nobody's as high on Hami as Taylor. <laughs> Hami is, is right. like Taylor's cocaine. I am Hami's the, not even I am the founder. I am the Christopher Columbus of Hami Island. Okay. <laughs> but it's okay. Let's not see. talk oh. about rapists <laughs> like that. <laughs> that was a Christopher Columbus joke, not a Hamadou Diallo joke, just so everybody knows. That's good clarity. Good clarity. <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting. Okay. So, so you just said you're not nearly as high on Hami. So why don't you tell us about his floor then? Yeah. So we, again, athleticism's his calling card. My fear is that everything else isn't. Uh, his offensive skill set's not super deep. We saw him handle the ball a little bit in summer league, but I I want it's to summer see league. it right exactly. Right. I want to see it more. I'm not convinced he can do that night in night out in an NBA game. Uh, I mentioned what, talking about a ceiling. The outside shooting and the free throw shooting are concerns. It was only 24 three point attempts, so like you mentioned, Jacob, it's not a big sample size, but. Uh, like I put more three pointers up tonight after my workout at the gym <laughs> than Hami did the entire season. You know, you also right. didn't have NBA players guarding you. That's but, true. Uh, well, to, and Hami's defense, I don't think anybody guarded him out there either. That's true. That's a good point. So the shooting's a concern. He's not a guy that you can really kind of trust as a key piece of a half court offense. And then similarly, you know, with for all his athletic prowess, I don't feel like it translates super well to the defensive end. I think for a guy as gifted athletically as he is, he should be a better defender and his instincts just aren't great right now. They could get better, but if they don't, uh, that end of the floor could leave a lot to be desired. No, I'm with you. I, I said Hami's floor is very low. I think he has the highest variance between his yeah. floor and his ceiling. I think that's of, a good way to think about it. Of really any of these guys. Right. And 
like I mentioned on his ceiling, he has to be able to refine some skill because right now he has athleticism and, and really no basketball skill. And it's going to be the development of those skills that, that turn him into an NBA player. And if he cannot develop those skills, um, I said he may, he might not even be in the league at the end of this three year contract that he signed. Um, and, and so I think that also brings up this interesting idea of, and, and we see it and we've talked about it a lot with Sam Presti is do you draft and, and get NBA players that have that skill, but lack the athleticism, lack the, the ability to just overwhelm people with their running and jumping ability? Or do you get people that have that running and jumping ability that is literally unteachable and then try to get them, get some skill out of them. Right. And, and it's yeah. this, it's this interesting, like, balance of and, and i think i don't know if there's any like scientific evidence i don't know if there's any uh any you know data on this but it's an interesting balance of like do you get the guy with skilled who you can't teach athleticism to and you just hope they can get skillful enough to be elite or do you get the guy with elite athleticism and hope they can pick up one of those skills and that's definitely the former is definitely what homie is right yeah and so I, I and I had to ask you guys for help on this one because this floor is just so interesting. I think we're all on the same page, and I think really the one that Jacob that you came up with that I have t- uh, typed out here is Michael Kidd Gilchrist. You know, an- another player who came into the league was thought of to be this uh, this mega athlete and just was an- unable to refine any of those skills that we've mentioned. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, so my comp is interesting because Hami was the 45th pick in the draft. So it's mm. saying his floor, like I think a lot of people think whenever we, we make a comp for his floor, like, well, Hami's not really a sunk cost because he was drafted so low. Uh, but my comp for him is a former number one overall pick, Anthony Bennett. Oh, okay. Who's been playing in the D League and can't get an NBA contract now. Interesting. Um, has the athleticism, but just failed to really put together hmm. a lot of skill. Uh, so yeah. Anthony, Anthony Bennett is my my comp for Homie's floor. My comp, I went with Rudy Fernandez. Oh, oh dude, I used to like Rudy one. Fernandez right? back in the day. One. Yeah. So he was crazy athletic. Now his career was much more hampered by injuries more than anything else. But just another guy that I think showed so many flashes early on of his athleticism and he threw down some dunks that just made your jaw hit the floor. And right. I think that that's what I think of when I think of Hamadou and then his career was kind of cut short and it never really panned out. Like I mentioned, largely due to injuries. So hopefully that uh, doesn't go that way with Hami, but I, I can kind of see Rudy as a guy that I can liken to Hami a little bit. Yeah. That's, no, interesting. that's a good yeah. one. I like that. And then uh, Rudy ended up playing uh, pro ball back over in Spain for a while, I believe. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, that, I mean, at at some level of basketball, that elite athleticism will will it'll get you. A it'll, job. It'll, yeah, it'll get you by. Um, it's just it it's not the NBA, right? Like you have to have the skill in the NBA. But you know, if you are uh, wanting to keep up with like the Rudy Fernandezes of the world who are doing things in sports outside of the the big uh, NBA and whatnot, um, Axios <laughs> is is typically a good place to go. <laughs> well. Jacob, uh, there are countless ways to keep up on what's happening in the world of sports outside of our podcast, obviously. But how are you supposed to read every great article? How are you supposed to watch every awesome highlight without losing time in your busy day? Scrolling through every app and visiting every website on a daily basis is impossible. 
Now coming to the stage, Axios Sports. Axios Sports is a modern sports page delivered directly to your email inbox. Each morning you'll see the best stories from around the sports world, from the NBA and NFL to niche sports like cricket and ping pong. The email newsletter highlights the most important stats and trends, giving you the ability to stay informed. And it's super simple to sign up. Go to sports.axios.com. Axios Sports is clean, crisp, and gives you everything you need to know. Read it in five minutes in the elevator or discover a deep dive article while you're on the train to work or pretending to work. We won't judge. Not only will you be caught up, you'll be the cool person sharing an amazing link with your friends and coworkers. Join the 100,000 sports fans who get caught up on the day before it even begins. And best of all, there's no paywall, no subscription fee, nothing. This is a free curated, this is free curated sports content delivered directly to you. Do yourself and your time a favor. Sign up for the Axios Sports newsletter for free at sports.axios.com. Seriously, I subscribe to it. Uh, and it makes me feel more informed without spending time clicking through websites and apps and social media platforms and listening to every episode of the low post that comes out. Uh, so again, try it for free at sports.axios.com. Okay, so let's con- continue this conversation um, about the Thunder's young guys and, and kind of what their ceilings and what their floors are. Uh, I'll get us started on the next one which is new thunder (laughs) yeah it's an interesting one one. uh new thunder rookie darius baisley um this one okay hold on hold on please tell me you guys saw that video um it was an instagram story of him like cooking in this (laughs) dude he's he's a weirdo but he's he's ground 19 straight from the ground (laughs) dude i was a weirdo at 19 yeah we were all weirdos at 19 he is hilarious um he is Sorry. he's an interesting one here because uh we know so little about him. The last time he played organized basketball besides summer league was in high school. You know, he he didn't go to college, he didn't play college ball, he didn't play overseas ball. He instead went and made a million dollars at New Balance. Uh, freaking shout out to you, bro. I wish I could do that. Yeah. But so, some things about him, he's he's long, he's 6 foot 9 with a 7 foot wingspan. He can handle the ball a little bit. Uh, he has some vision, uh, and I think maybe the best thing he has going for him is he's six nine with a seven foot wingspan in the 2019 NBA. You know, he's right. he is this prototypical um, combo forward. He's a three slash four, right? That um, you know, as a three, he's got a little bit of size. Uh, as a four, he's a little more nimble with a with some ball handling ability that can be a nightmare for for more traditional fours, uh, guys like uh, Paul Millsap or Lamarcus Aldridge, etc. So he is definitely that type of like tweener forward that teams are looking for. The thing is, we just we really don't know anything about him uh, besides the the little bit we've seen of highlights from him from back in high school and then his summer league performance. But the way that he plays basketball, the type of player he is, which, again, I said is he's a guy that can can put the ball on the ground, he can handle, and he's got solid vision. He can see. He can pass. Uh, he makes right decisions. He wants to set people up. Um, and he, he needs to develop a, a shot. He needs to be more of an offensive threat to score the ball. Uh, we really don't have any clue on his defense. But, again, he's freaking 19 years old, you know. Yep. So so the yep. sky's kind of the limit for this kid. It's just we are 
we're operating here with no basis. You know, with Hami and Ferg, at least, we have a solid baseline that we know of them that we can build from. With Darius, we just don't have that baseline. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. Uh, you know, one other thing I heard uh, after the Thunder drafted him and, and people were, you know, were kind of surprised by that pick and some national analysts who had followed him throughout college, or sorry, <laughs> followed him throughout uh, high school and AAU ball kind of mentioned was that he apparently is supposed to be able to score the ball, uh, space the floor, shoot from outside, and also handle the ball for his position. You know, he's long and lanky, and uh, some of the, like, uh, this was an extreme comp, obviously, and they weren't saying he could be the next Kevin Durant, but in terms of the way he's built and still being able to handle the ball like that and being able to pull out from outside um, throughout uh, his time in high school and AAU ball, you know, there were some people who said he could, they, he had he kind of resembled Kevin Durant in that sense. So it's going to be really interesting to kind of see if he's ever cut loose, particularly with the way the roster is constructed now with guys like Gallo and Mascala and people like that in front of him. You know, if we're able to trade some of these guys come uh, come February, the trade deadline, and he's able to get some real NBA minutes, it's going to be fascinating to see what, what he's able to do when he's kind of cut loose. And uh, particularly maybe this time next year, you know, when, it, when it's a super young team starting fresh. It, it's good. I'm super curious to see what he's going to project on, on, on an NBA floor against NBA caliber players. Totally agree. Justin, you have anything to add to any of that? Yeah. I, I think you guys covered it pretty well. The size and athleticism obviously makes him kind of the prototypical dream player for the NBA. I think his footwork is actually pretty good. Again, we're, we're operating on such limited observations, but it seems like he doesn't seem a guy that has a slow first step, um, I think that that can obviously benefit him on both ends of the floor. If he can keep his footwork at that size, it's going to do him a lot of favors. And then I think specific to his athleticism is his leaping ability. I think that ob- has obvious uh, benefits to offense, but I think on defense that can make him really kind of a terror on defense. That's really, from, yeah, that's a good point. What you see from a lot of guys like, um, he who must not be named in Brooklyn, (laughs) Um, you know, what he was really able to add to his game in recent years with the Warriors and the, the kind of defensive skill set that he honed that came a lot from his length and his size. I think Baisley could use similar attributes to his advantage on the defensive end. For sure. So uh, I'll kick us off with, with a comp for Baisley's ceiling. And again, we're this one we're definitely just like shooting in the dark on. It's absolutely it's in, impossible to to comp. So uh I just went for the sky, man. Yeah. Um so Magic Johnson. <laughs> um, Dirk. I, I have two comps for him. Uh one is a current player, one is former. The current player is Pascal Siakam. Yep. That's my right? ceiling as well. Yep. I, Jerk. That's who I <laughs> all three of us, that's awesome. <laughs> um, yep. Okay. D- do you guys have a second one or no? No. I mean, he had a pretty nice one-footed fader in, in the summer league, so obviously Dirk. <laughs> okay, my, my second one. and I, So since we all had Pascal, we all kind of agreed on that one. Uh, I'm, I'm interested what you guys think about this one. Uh, my second one is Lamar Odom. Oh, that's interesting. Interesting. Kind of same size. Lamar was 6'10", like 220 uh, at, at, his, at his peak, whenever he was like at his physical peak. Um, played small forward, power forward, could shoot the ball a little bit, could, could assist, um, could, you could know, rebound, with, could handle the with ball. all these Instagram videos, I could see him being into like a reality TV angle. <laughs> he can, 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 he's, like Lamar, he's like Lamar in more ways than one. 
might that, end that's up good. on that's cocaine. Who knows? Yeah. Hopefully not. Don't do cocaine, Darius. <laughs> Heard it's bad. Um, okay, so then let's flip the script and talk about Baisley's floor, which, again, is it's just so hard. Um, on my notes for floor, I wrote, quote, who the hell knows? Right. <laughs> he could suck and be awful and never really play in the league. Yep. No, you're right. And, uh, you know, I... Uh, when I was thinking of like a, a ceiling and floor for Baisley, just because we don't know so much about him, I, like you said, we kind of I, I went for extremes, and I think a good floor for him. Uh, you actually already mentioned him, Jacob, when you were comparing uh, Hami. But my floor is Anthony Bennett, uh, just a guy oh, who, nice. who flashes a lot of potential. Um, you know, if Baisley would have played in college, maybe he would have had a similar hype about him. I doubt the Thunder probably would have been able to draft him, but he, he obviously he didn't pan out. You know, and and wasn't able to translate his game to the NBA. So yeah, like I, it's kind of shooting in the dark here, but I wouldn't think Anthony Bennett. Yeah. So I, I put that he needs to get better on the defensive end, but again, that's based off like really, really limited exposure, mostly in summer league and like YouTube highlights. Um, I also think that from watching what little bit of offense we've seen, like his shot, seems a little bit slow and just I think translating to the NBA that might be something that kind of gets him uh, if he can't speed up that shot mechanic he could have a hard time getting a clean shot off but those are pretty much guesses and I was really kind of stretching it to come up with those so as far as like my comp for his floor going back to my comment about I think our comparisons kind of reveal our optimism or pessimism about a player. I'm fairly optimistic about Baisley. He could certainly be a guy that falls out of the league and we never hear from him again. And it wouldn't surprise me, but I'm a little more optimistic. And I put his comp as his floor comp as a guy like a Wilson Chandler. Oh, okay. That's okay, interesting. That's not bad at all. That's not, yeah. yeah no so kidding. it's like, you know, he's fine. He'll have a job. He'll get around on teams. But, like, is anybody getting psyched if they trade for Wilson Chandler? Like, probably not. Uh, 2016 Jacob Niffin will get psyched if you <laughs> traded for Wilson Chandler. That was the missing piece, bro. That's all we needed. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> okay, any – That's any, interesting. Yeah, any lingering thoughts on Darius? Because, uh, like I said, he's just – he's maybe the most difficult one to do this this – Yep for sure exercise with just because we we're operating on such little information. Right. Uh, okay. Well, let's move on to the one that I think we're all super excited to talk about. And our listeners are probably excited to hear about uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander, right? The, the new point guard slash shooting guard in town from the Los Angeles Clippers that everyone hopes is going to be the face of the franchise. We've talked about Shea's ceiling a lot, uh, just over the summer. So let's touch on it a little bit more, but then we'll also flip the script and talk to talk about maybe his floor and that and how not good he could be. Uh, Justin, what do you think about Shea's ceiling? Where where is it? And how, what does he have to do to get there? Magic Johnson. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, so hey, that that's whenever I was trying to think of of comps, be, that's a honestly, that's a name like that's yeah. a name that did come up. All right. I mean, let's get weird. Um, <laughs> So obviously, like you mentioned, physically gifted, like we've talked about, ad nauseum. He's got a seven-foot wingspan. He's a he's a presty creation, like create a player in 2K. Uh, he he fits the bill of what you look for in the modern NBA. His length and his agility, I think, translate fairly well to defense. Um, he does a good job of kind of hounding guys and getting after them. He's a really good ball handler. He can finish at the rim. 
He's a decent shooter. I think he can get better. He shot 40% in college, uh, 36.7 last year in the NBA. Uh, pretty good free throw shooter, so I'm optimistic that he can kind of bring those numbers up. And if he does that, uh, I think that that's the biggest opportunity for him is is maybe tightening up his uh, passing ability a little bit and elevating his three-point shot. And then, like, my goodness – uh, this dude is a terror for defenders. See, yeah, you, you with, talked about his, his defensive ability. I also think not only the length and the, the motor and, like, the twitchiness, but his give-a-shit meter is just really high, too. That's you right. Know? And, he has and, a high motor. Yeah. And ma- I feel like younger guys can sometimes give more effort on defense when they first come into the league look at a guy like russ yeah no i agree i feel like he was always locked in and then as time went on he couldn't quite do that definitely and and so we and we don't know which way that will go uh we have what what feels like some pretty good evidence from like interviews that people have done with his trainer uh, and and what we've read about like what he did at kentucky and how he was how he's just a tireless worker that would make you think that that give a shit meter just stays up all the time and if so, that's a really, really good sign. And and I think yep. that that obviously plays into his defense as well. But uh, sorry to cut you off, Taylor. What, what no, were you going? No, no, for? I, th- those are all good points. And uh, I was going to bring up the, the interviews as well. Just everybody who talks about him just raves about him as a as a person and just his work ethic, his demeanor. Uh, he's very level headed, and I think that's going to uh, pay dividends with a an organization like the Thunder, who pride themselves on player development and and guys and guys who are kind of like sponges and just are willing to absorb everything so that's a really good point the only thing i was going to mention is justin you mentioned his passing uh, and you're right he he can occasionally get a little too creative and and a little too careless maybe with the ball sometimes but some of the passes just once he finds a way to get the ball to where he wants it to go he already he can see it in his head already his court vision is just phenomenal for a rookie and something that i don't think we've you know we, we only see with very few uh select players and that's yeah, something that can i cut you off for just a yeah, second yeah what, what you just said you know he can be careless with the ball he gets a little too creative with those passes i think you have to let a young guy like that right do that right. in order to to grow and to develop you know yeah, whenever i think of guys point. that got too creative with passes and they screwed up a lot early and they had turnovers but you had to let them play through those to get better the first name that comes to mind when you say that to me is steve nash Steve, yeah, that's a that's a great point, and just his court vision, and and then I I think you have to think of a guy as well, and and this may be very homerish, but I I think it honestly is correct. And Chris Paul, I, I think it really is going to be a great mentor for him to learn from for the time being. But what I worry about is, like you mentioned, Jacob, at a certain point you have to throw those kind of kids with those talent. Uh, you got to throw them in the fire, and if you have Chris Paul and Danilo Gallinari around, like it, Shea's going to be a little more stuck in a role where after they're gone, he's going to have the reins. And so it's going to be really nice to kind of see what he learns, what he's able to pick up from Chris to improve his court vision, his passing, his shooting, uh, his ability to continue to drive to the rim, and then being being able to kind of implement it and, and continue to perfect his craft once Chris is gone. Um, so, it, and that's the other thing too, that I, I don't know if I mentioned this either, but just the way his ability to get to the rim, the way he uses his length, you know, it's, it's a completely different way than Russ, who just overpowered appoint, uh, opponents with his athletic ability and strength, where Shea is just so crafty. That's uh, the word I was going to use. He the, the craftiness is off the chart. For that length, right. It's just... Um, and it's, the it's craftiness... Smooth. It, it kind of translates back to our homie discussion. The craftiness is is a very refined skill. 
Right. Right. That's a good point. Um, it, it's not athleticism. It's not pure strength. It's not, I'm going to bulldoze you over. I'm going to keep ramming my head into that brick wall until I eventually <laughs> knock it over. Uh, Shea is very change of pace, uh, very crafty, very maneuverable. Um, and and it, it makes for a different type of player. Um, I said that in order to reach his ceiling, um, he's going to be able to, he's going to have to be able to shoot off the dribble proficiently. Um, and he's going to have to reach the ability where he can run the show. He's going to have to, at yep. some point, be able to be the guy. That's right. Yep. That's that a good when you point. need a bucket, you just put the ball in that guy's hands and you let him go get it. Very good. So, point. so and comps for him are really interesting for his ceiling. Uh, Justin, what is your ceiling comp for Shea? So, it's hard, man. It is. Like I thought, I thought this one would be easier until I actually tried to think of one. Uh, and it's so hard. He's a unique player. Like we really haven't he is seen a unique player. Right. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you. So it's not a perfect comp, but I put down Damian Lillard. Um, I think that his, like you guys were kind of mentioning the craftiness. Uh, he's a great ball handler. He can kind of command a team. He can be the guy like you were mentioning Jacob to go get you a bucket when you need it. A great three point shooter that if, if SGA can kind of build that aspect of his game, I think he can be in that same same level as Dame. And I love the the confidence. I think that was really kind of what drew me to that comp is SGA just in his rookie year just felt like he belonged and looked like he belonged. And I think we've seen that from Dame his entire career from when he felt like he should be an all-star and he wasn't getting put on the all-star team and it all kind of came to the head unfortunately against the thunder in the playoffs where, you know, he, he demonstrated that he belonged, whether you were going to give him his due or not. And I can kind of see some of that same mentality in SGA. Definitely. That's is uh damn the only comp you have for him. It is. Okay. I had a couple, uh, Taylor, do you want to go ahead? Uh, sure. I was gonna say, I, I only have, there was one that came to my mind. Um, and I wasn't sure again, like it's so hard. So I wasn't sure if it was a stretch or if it maybe wasn't quite high enough. Um, but the one that came to my mind was Drew Holiday. You look at their, their measurements, Drew 6'4", 205, where Shea is 6'6", 181 pounds. Obviously Drew's a little better of a shooter and it kind of has been ever since he's come into the league. But I think their ability to handle the ball, also play off ball, and just their complete skill set kind of resemble one another. Um, and, and Drew's one of those guys where for example, like the Anthony Davis, uh, now he has Zion. I, that could be a perfect player to pair alongside him. And I think we have two guys of those calibers. You can you can make it to a championship, right? Um, and I think with Shea, he's one of those guys where I'm not sure, Jacob, like you mentioned him taking the reins. And yes, he's going to have to do that as a point guard. But in terms of like a Kevin Durant or Russell Westbrook, we're able to, uh, from a Thunder perspective, or like a James Harden in Houston prior to Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook. Uh, I'm not sure if Shea's ever going to be that guy. He may need a guy more like that to play alongside, and that could be what gets um, the Thunder to back to championship contention again. So I, I felt like Drew was a, a decent enough comparison, but again, it's it's hard because even then, it, that's not a perfect comparison either. You know, they yeah. Drew's not nearly as crafty like we mentioned earlier that that as Shea is. So you guys already mentioned it, but coming up with a comp is difficult because he's so unique. And so I have two comps, and one of them is a fusion of two players. So I know that's kind of <laughs> that's like <awesome>. cheating, <laughs> and it's kind of all over the place. But th- this is like the, the best I could get. So my first comp is um, body size and defensive ability of Dejounte Murray. Oh, I, um, I like that. Yeah, but no, I like mixed, that. But mixed with the offensive game of Tony Parker. 
the pick and roll, the shooting, the craftiness, oh, right. uh, the, the incredible quickness. craftiness of Tony Parker. So, like, if you fused DeJounte Murray's size and defense with Tony Parker's offensive playmaking ability, um, I think that could be a Shea ceiling, um, which is like a freaking what dream. Yeah. <laughs> and then my other ceiling. That's a Hall of Famer. <laughs> yeah. My other ceiling, which is, which is interesting on a few spots, is – um, imagine if Michael Carter Jr. or sorry, Michael Carter, Michael Carter Williams uh, continued an upward linear trajectory after that rookie of the year, and he kept progressing into the player um, that his his trajectory was showing. Um, yeah. It's interesting because they're both tall, lanky point guards. Um, they both are kind of crafty, and they both have hyphenated last names. <laughs> you know, so That'll that's awesome. It, it kind of fits all three of those. Um, but I like my first one better, obviously. That's good. Uh, so, that's really unique. so his floor here, here's how I boil down Shay's floor too. his floor is if he doesn't progress a whole lot and, and he, he doesn't get past like that secondary creator and he struggles to fit at the one or the two. He becomes the negative version of what we call a tweener nowadays. A lot of times if you're a tweener nowadays, it's a good thing. It means you're versatile. But if you you can also become a tweener in the sense that you don't really have a, a role and you, you struggle to fit somewhere. And if he becomes that, uh, that is his floor, right? If, if he right. struggles to find a place where he can fit and that uniqueness doesn't really translate to eliteness, that's when the problems start to arise, and that's whenever he he reaches his floor. Yeah. No, I I, I put down, um, you know, his his attacking can sometimes leave him. I guess in no man's land. It, sometimes he'll he'll go at the basket, and sometimes it works out like he he leaves his feet and finds somebody or is able to finish. But sometimes he can get stuck. And I think that's common with a lot of young guys. I think we saw it with Russ a lot of times for, for a handful of years. Um, but I think he's got to develop that part of his game a little bit. The three-point shooting, like I mentioned, you know, it's not a given that it'll get better. I'm optimistic that it can. Uh, but if it doesn't, that's kind of a big, big hole in his game. And then I think he needs to get a little bit bigger. Uh, you mentioned, you know, his height and weight earlier, Taylor. He's a little bit lean. Right. That's a good I point. Adding some some weight to his frame is would go a long way in helping him compete against uh, a variety of players. And drawing fouls and even defensively being able to stick yeah. with bigger point guards or shooting even small forwards because he has a link to do it. Yeah, I'm with you. All right, anything else for his floor? Taylor, do you have anything to add? No, I, yeah. I, again, I think uh, the biggest thing that sticks out to me is, is the shooting ability. Um, he, he does have that weird release that's gotten better and better, but at a certain point that the kind of the shot put kind of release uh, worries me a little bit, particularly in the NBA. Uh, the thing that Shea has going for him is his length though. So even then his release is still higher than most. <laughs> so uh, that is, is in his favor, but he just can, needs to continue to prove and be able to, uh, to shoot off the dribble and, and improve that, that release. Uh, yep. I agree. So the comps for Shea's floor, uh, here's my comp. Uh, quote, a not as shitty as the current version, Michael Carter Williams. <laughs> That's awesome. That's actually, I, right. I, I did, so we, we say like a poor man's version, uh, I guess a, a rich man's version of Michael Carter Williams, but that's yeah. maybe a little too much. So just a not as shitty current a, version. A middle class. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, there you go. Middle class. I like that. So I actually had Michael Carter Williams as, as my floor as well. Uh, but another one that kind of hit me and it, it's, 
much more of a stretch because they don't even play the same position. But maybe like a Josh Jackson. You know, they have similar builds. Um, Josh Jackson was supposed to be able to create for others and just be a pure score where, you know, obviously Shea is not a pure score, but um, he just in the terms of being a player with so much potential and and not rising to that, you know, that that could potentially be Shea, I guess. I don't know, but I also had Mark, Michael Carter-Williams as a, uh, my floor as well. I put a uh, guy who's recently in the news, Sean Livingston. Ooh. That's a good one. Yeah, that's a good so one. So obviously that's a big the, floor, though. the frame and the it is a, it like is it. a high floor. So again, I'm, I'm revealing my optimism yeah. about SGA. I right. think I think no matter what, he's he's going to be a guy that gets a job. I think he can, he can run a second unit at worst for an NBA team for the entirety of his career, uh, which is kind of what. Uh, Sean Livingston did. I think the frame and the build and all that kind of stuff are obvious comparisons. Uh, Sean obviously had a higher ceiling before his injuries uh, and, and things changed course in his career after that. But I think when you look at what he was able to do, you know, I think with his career, I think that that would be a success for any NBA player. And I think uh, thinking about it as a floor for SGA, I think that's a decent comp. No, I'm with you. Um, that would be nice. That like like you said, it it kind of reveals bias. So let's let's touch on that just a little bit as we as we wrap this thing up. Um, for each of these four players that we've talked about, which do you think is more likely for each of them, floor or ceiling that we've talked about? Uh, let's so let's get. start with Ter- Terrence Ferguson. Um, our our ceiling and our floor conversation. Uh, obviously it's going to fall somewhere in the gray area in the middle, right. but Taylor, um, if it's leaning one way for Ferguson, uh, at the end of his career, do you think he ends up closer to that ceiling or that floor? I, I think it's definitely going to be closer to the ceiling. And to be completely honest with you, Ferguson is a player that I think could have a ceiling that just like kind of blows us away in the sense that it, it wasn't the ceiling that we projected for him. You know, I think he's still kind of a blank slate as well. And, um, I think he's going to have a, a very good career in the NBA. Nice. Uh, Justin, for Ferg, do you think he ends up closer to the floor or the ceiling? I think he ends up closer to the ceiling, but there's a part of me that worries how high his ceiling is. Obviously, I went really high in my comp (laughs) because I I think the tools are there, but I think I'm kind of in the opposite boat of Taylor. Like, I think his ceiling may not be as high as we hope it is. And he kind of gets stuck in that almost like that, like the role player. I don't think, I don't think he'll bottom out to his floor, but I don't, I kind of wonder how much growth he has left. Gotcha. I think he, he could still have more, but I kind of wonder if, you know, the big jump we saw last season, like, is that kind of it or does he have another jump? Okay. That's interesting. I, I would probably leave lean closer to his ceiling as well. I would put it at, uh, probably like a 70-30 on he ends up closer to the ceiling than the floor. Uh, so the next one, Justin, I'll start with you on this one. Hamadou Diallo, does at the end of everything, do we end up saying he ended up closer to that ceiling or closer to that floor? I'm going to go with floor, which I can feel Taylor like <laughs> burning, burning through, the, through, through the internet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but You might be surprised. I think the athleticism's off the charts. I just don't know if he has everything else to be a long-term NBA player. I, I mean, yeah. I, honestly, I'm with you. I, I think floor is kind of where he's just in with the, the way the NBA is, is right now. I think that the floor is probably the most likely um, direction that he'll head. I just think, you know, he, 
he has the athletic ability and he kind of has what like you mentioned this Jake what Russell Westbrook has that's that's worth taking the game on and trying to develop and, and see if he can turn into that kind of caliber of, of a athlete. Um, so, but I still like, like you guys mentioned, just the way the NBA is played today. I, I see him possibly burning out and uh, not having an NBA career here in three or four years, you know? Yeah. I'm going to go closer to the floor as well. And my split would be 80, 20. There's an 80% chance he's closer to the floor and a 20% chance he's closer to the ceiling because of what you just said, Taylor. He, he's he got that, that when I made the comp to the Russell Westbrook, he's got that Russell Westbrook-esque in him uh, on, the, on the, the team selecting him and taking a gamble. The difference is they took Russell Westbrook at the fourth overall pick, and they took Hami at the 45th overall pick. Very um, true. And, and so I, I think that just kind of tells you all you need to know. If Hami hits, it's a hell of a home run. Um, yep. but it, it's, it's like a lottery chance at this right. point, right? You, you, you don't have a great chance of hitting, but if you do hit it, it's awesome. Um, okay. Darius Baisley, this one's the, the really difficult one. Taylor, uh, is he falling closer to the ceiling or the floor? I mean, right now I, I, I want to say floor, but obviously, like you said, it's just, it's so hard to tell, but he, like he, like we mentioned earlier, he's, he's built for this NBA. He has the tools to be the perfect stretch forward of, of this modern NBA. And so I'm going to go ahead and say, just based off of that and the skill set that we've seen from a limited, limited standpoint, I think he'll be closer to the ceiling. Justin. I lean floor, but like we've all mentioned, it's essentially a coin flip. <laughs> I feel like, uh, I think I'm just more pessimistic just because of his non-traditional path to the NBA. I, I don't know. Will he be able to adjust to the NBA quick enough? And if he doesn't, will he get left in the dust? Yeah, I think that's fair. And I probably yeah. side with Justin on that one. But I, I've been giving percentages. This one's like a straight up 50-50. I just have, I have so no true. clue. Ask me this um, at the end of this season, you know. Agreed. Um, and, and ask me this if he goes to college instead of not, because then I actually have something to look at, something tangible to be able to judge him on. Uh, okay, lastly, Taylor, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Is he falling closer to the ceiling or the floor? I mean, it, maybe this is just out of, like, pain and depression of losing Paul George and Russell Westbrook and starting this new era that us Thunder fans have subconsciously just sold ourselves on Shea. But I truthfully believe at this point that he is a, has the potential to be an all-star, uh, maybe at the very least. So um, I'm going with definitely towards the ceiling. Justin? ceiling yeah for sure i'm with you guys as well uh i kind of refer back to a lot of the stuff that doc rivers his old coach who has coached a lot of really good players basically came out and said this kid's special this kid is going to make all-star games in his career this kid is is going to do great things um i maybe don't know a lot about basketball but i i sure as hell think that doc rivers knows a lot about yeah. basketball that is a, that's so, a great yeah. reference yeah. so great i'm reference. gonna i'm gonna side with what doc rivers said uh, I'm probably going to go 85% to 15% on Shea hitting the ceiling yep. over the floor. I think that's a good one on that. And if Shea hits the ceiling uh, on his potential, that is uh, great news for Oklahoma City fans, and they probably won't need this product. Um, but let's talk about it anyways. Guys that are terrible at taking care of their health, whether it's a knee injury, a bad back, or something worse, guys are usually more comfortable rubbing some dirt on it than seeing a doctor. I bet Andre Robertson's guilty of that. He probably rubbed some dirt on that Achilles rather than uh, than uh, trying to get surgery. I don't know. The same is true for erectile dysfunction. Don't rub dirt on that. Studies show 70% of guys who experience ED don't get treated for it. 
Thankfully, Roman created an easy way to chat with a doctor online. With Roman, you can get medical care for ED, if appropriate, from the comfort and privacy of your own home. You can handle everything online in a convenient, discreet manner, and getting started is simple. You all you have to do is go to getroman.com slash bluewire and complete an online visit. If your doctor decides that treatment would be appropriate, they can prescribe genuine medication that can be delivered in discreet packaging right to your door with free two-day shipping. Guys, go talk to the doctor. Erectile dysfunction can be tough to tackle, but it's really important to get checked out. With Roman, it's easy to connect with the doctor. Just go to getroman.com slash bluewire to get a free online visit and a free two-day shipping. That's getroman.com slash bluewire for a free visit to get started. Getroman.com slash bluewire. All right, right before we get out of here, um, Zach Lowe recently did a podcast with... What's the guy's name again? Sam Anderson. Sam Anderson. Sam, Sam Anderson, who wrote the book Boomtown, which talks about not only the history of the Oklahoma City Thunder, but also it coincides with the history of the city of Oklahoma City itself. Um, and so listening to Zach's podcast has motivated me to go buy this book. Uh, I'm pretty close to 100 pages in. And from what I understand, you guys have both read the entire book. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. That is correct. Uh, any thoughts on the on the thunder aspect of the book? Oh, it, it's incredible! Like the the detail that he goes into, and just even outside the thunder, just the way he he juxtaposes the thunder with the the city of OKC and, and how they uh, embody one another and resemble one another uh, from their beginnings all the way to their their present. It's just it's incredible. Uh, he does such a great job. And Jake, you mentioned this, but his writing style is so unique, but so entertaining yeah. and interesting. Like, uh, I'm going to be honest, by the time I finished the book, and I believe I finished it this past January, late January, and I remember mentioning, I think I mentioned it to you guys on uh, some pods during the season, but uh, I think I finished it around like January. And uh, and obviously because I have a lot of interest in, uh, in, and I've grown up in Oklahoma, and I've learned heard some of this history, but not the details that he goes into of Oklahoma and Oklahoma City's founding in general. Um but also being a Thunder fan. Um, so I might be a little biased when I say this, but uh, it's honestly one of my favorite books probably I've, I've ever read, at least being an adult now, that I don't get to read nearly as much as I did going through yeah. school. So I have yeah. huge praise. One of the things... It, oh, sorry, go ahead, Justin. I was just I was going to say, I thought it was interesting listening to Zach and Sam talk about the book. Uh, two things stood out to me. One, when Sam reached out to the thunder and told them that he wanted to write about them, how kind of standoffish they were, which I mean, fits everything we've ever been told about the thunder organization. But when they finally agreed to it, the first thing they did, they had a meet with like city leaders and the police chief and like all these people. And he didn't see a single basketball player. He didn't talk to anybody that actually had anything to do with thunder basketball. That was fascinating. Because they wanted him to understand who Oklahoma city is and what this community is so he could understand who the team is representing. And I thought that was fascinating and really, you know, aligns well with what we have known about the organization and their dedication to the community, but to go as so far as to let a guy that said he wants to write about the basketball team, uh, have to go through that level of depth. But I think what it did, you know, it worked, it created that appreciation in him. And I think, appreciation is not the right word, but maybe curiosity. Yeah. I don't think the book maybe would have turned out the same way had 
the beginning of his, uh, you know, research not well, gone that I don't, way. I don't think it would have turned into a book, you know, because he mentioned it. This all started yeah. because he was sent to OKC because uh, he was looking for a cover story That's for the New York Times. For the for, New York yeah. Times magazine. So yeah. it would just been an extended uh, editorial compared to an actual novel. Or not That's novel, a but a, uh, a a book, yeah. So so the, the most interesting thing maybe I've read so far, and, and again, I'm maybe like a quarter of the way through the book, um, but... Taylor, you kind of touched on it, how he goes back and forth telling the story of Oklahoma City paired with the story of the Thunder. And he has this chapter where he talks about uh, these two being at odds with each other because Oklahoma City is quite literally a boomtown. Like it went from nobody to 10,000 people in the matter of a day because of the land run. Um, the people of Oklahoma City are used to uh, the weather changing immediately. They're used to um, the, the the boom of the economy because of oil, et cetera, like things happening like nearly instantaneously. And then the team is ran by a vice president and a general manager, Sam Presti, who very much does not believe in the boom. He rather believes in the very long, slow burn process. And so that the chapter of the, the contrast of those two things uh, was just kind of, kind of interesting he talks about how thunder fans were all on board with the process of presti because presti's process went super super fast because durant westbrook and harden became like otherworldly basketball talents and so the the people of oklahoma city saw the boom and and not the long-term picture and just so the, the the contrast of that so far has probably been my favorite chapter it's just it's really fascinating to read about yeah, I love the way, you know, he does it again. He does it throughout the whole book, but when he's kind of talking about the the rust injury in the playoffs with the meniscus and all that kind of stuff, the way he writes about those sections, like, got me all the way back in my feelings yeah. again yep. <laughs> from that and he time. describes it so perfectly because he was there. He, he was there for that. I'm excited yeah, to read he, it. He was there in person. They, they specifically brought up, which I had kind of forgotten about, that that was Patrick Beverly's first start. That's so in his crazy. NBA career, yeah. which is insane. Which is unreal. It's insane. Uh, Another thing, and obviously this is a, uh, it was very emotional even to read, but he, the way he goes into detail about the bombing, uh, the, the chapters that lead up to it, the yeah. chapter itself, and then immediately transitioning back to the thunder and, um, and kind of finishing the book with the thunder and, uh, and how the OKC has rebuilt since the bombing and how the thunder really kind of kickstart or really did kind of kickstart the entire process was just, uh, he, uh, he did it perfectly. He really did. Uh, you'll really enjoy, I think you'll really enjoy getting to, to that part of the book, Jacob, towards the end. I'm excited for it. As soon as we get done recording this podcast, I'm going to go lay down and read a little before bed. So cool. it should be good. Um, all right, uh, guys, any parting thoughts before I bump us some outro music and get, get us uh, wrapped up for the day? Go read boom. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. It's really good. Uh, I went and bought a handful of books, but uh, I made sure Boomtown is the first one I'm reading through before any of the other ones. So That's awesome. Well, hey, guys. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. If you haven't already, make sure that you are subscribed to us wherever you subscribe to your podcasts at. Uh, if you are subscribed on iTunes, please go drop us a five-star rating. We are one rating away from 100. Uh, and I really want 100. That will make my day. So somebody who's listening to this and hasn't dropped a, a rating yet, it's super, super simple. Just click on the Uncontested Podcast, scroll down to where the stars are, click the fifth one, not the fourth one, not the third one, not the first one, the fifth one, 
and and it'll come through you can write a little review if you want you can say like jacob is your favorite person on the podcast or something that'd be totally fine um besides that uh that's all i got for you guys today make sure you tune back in monday morning for our next season preview series uh and it will include i pretty much all western conference teams we're pretty close to wrapping that bad boy up it's been a long process but tons of great guests so check that out follow justin on twitter he is at okc tracker taylor is on twitter at taylor underscore p15 myself i am at thunder mob 405 the podcast is at the underscore uncontested you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts we are also a part of the blue wire podcast network NBA basketball is coming up soon, guys. We're almost there. Hang with us, and we will talk to you again next week. Have a great weekend, and thunder up. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.